Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and some would call me a double dipper, but that's mostly because I had two scoops of mint chocolate chip this week. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and the Instagram, and of course, the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And if you can swing it, please consider supporting the show as a patron. Click the button on the website or point your browser to patreon.com slash how good it is. For just five bucks a month, you're getting the weekly newsletter penned by yours truly with the week's music news, a dash of my opinions, and the history calendar. Plus, it's a quick five-minute read. Not too shabby, right? All right, I've got some family trivia for ye today. So tell me which one of these musical family pairs doesn't belong and why? We have Anne and Nancy Wilson of Heart, Jack and Meg White from The White Stripes, Noel and Liam Gallagher of Oasis, and Alex and Eddie Van Halen from De Van Halen. All of these pairs are related to each other, but one of them doesn't match the others. Who is it and why? I will have that answer and a little bit more at the end of the show. Let me tell you a little bit about Hanky Panky, because that's sort of what I do here, isn't it? First up, I know what you're thinking. You hear that chorus and you think, somebody wrote that? Yeah, but that's not fair. In fact, it took two people to write this one. Hanky Panky was written by the songwriting duo of Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry, who we last saw in episode 114, just a few weeks ago, when we looked at the song Leader of the Pack. But in this case, Greenwich and Barry recorded it themselves as The Raindrops, Back in 1963, uh, Barry told Billboard magazine once that he thought Hanky Panky was pretty terrible and it was meant to be a B-side. And in fact, the Raindrops released it as the B-side to this track, which was called... Boy John was a minor hit, uh, but it had the misfortune of being released in November of 1963. And when President John Kennedy was killed, the song was pulled from radio playlists. And that was pretty much the end of that. But as I mentioned, the B-side was this fun little ditty. Now, around the same time that the song was recorded by The Raindrops, it was also recorded by another girl group called The Summits.
Now, now the Summit's version is pretty much the same as the Raindrops. Maybe it swings a little bit more with some saxophone. And it's also got a neat little false ending on it before it comes back strong for another minute, minute and a half before fading out for real. Now, I'm not sure how the timing worked out, but the Summit's version came out just before the Raindrops and it failed altogether to chart. Now, around this time, there was a teenage boy by uh, the name of Tommy Jackson. He was from Niles, Michigan. And Tommy sneaked into a nightclub in South Bend, Indiana to hear a local band called The Spinners play. Now, this wasn't the same group that had those hits in the 70s. This was a small local band. And one of the songs that The Spinners played was Hanky Panky, which young Tommy noted went over really big with the crowd. In fact, he was impressed enough that he wanted to record the song with his band. And this wasn't Tommy Jackson's first single. This was his second. He had been with the band since 1959 when he was 12 as Tom and the Tornadoes. Now sometime in 1963, he changed the name of the band to honor his favorite guitarist, Troy Shondell. So Tommy Jackson talked his band, by now called the Shondells, into recording the song, which they did over at radio station WNIL back home in Niles, Michigan. Now there, there are clearly a few differences between the Raindrops and the Summits versions, and the Shondells version of this song. The Raindrops version is pretty typical girl group song. I'm, I'm not saying that is a bad thing. There was a definite sound to those songs, and this one had it. Uh, the Summits, they put a little bit more of an R&B spin on it. The other difference is that there are a few changes in the lyrics between the Raindrops and the Summits and the Shondells version. Why is that, you ask? I'm glad you asked. It's because Tommy Jackson couldn't remember all the words, so he just started making them up. And as far as the sound, oh, no, no, this was no girl group. This was pure garage rock. The record was released on Snap Records, which was owned by a friend of Tommy's who was a disc jockey. And the Shondells recording of the song, it actually sold pretty well in the Midwest in early 1964, and then it just kind of faded away. And in 1965, Tommy Jackson graduated from high school, and that was pretty much it for the band. They all went their separate ways. But later that year, a DJ in the Pittsburgh area named Mad Mike Metrovich picked up the record again and started playing it on WZUM as an exclusive. Now, Metrovich, he had this shtick of not telling listeners who the artists were to make it tough to find the records. And in fact, when he would DJ teen dances in the area, a lot of times he would scratch out or he would glue pictures over the record label so that people wouldn't know the details as a means of keeping his records exclusively. And, and sometimes he'd even tell radio listeners, listen in, you may never hear this song again. And sometimes he actually kept that promise. But the thing is, when a record has sold a few thousand copies in the Midwest, eh, it's not so much of an exclusive. And finally, another DJ in Pittsburgh started playing his copy of the song. And the next thing you know, there are literally 80,000 bootleg copies of the Shondell's Hanky Panky floating around the Pittsburgh area. Now, Tommy Jackson had no idea that any of this was going on until Metrovich called him up to let him know the single is hot and, hey, can the Shondells come play live in the Pittsburgh area? Tommy said, sure. What he didn't mention was that he'd been a solo act for over a year. So, 
He went to Pittsburgh on the down low and he started hanging around the clubs and such until he found a band he liked called the Rat Contours. He offered them the job as the new Shondells and they accepted it. And that's when Tommy Jackson became Tommy James. Tommy James himself tells an interesting story at this point. The record is hot in Pittsburgh, which, believe it or not, was a bit of a tastemaker city. So the record labels naturally started paying attention and they all began to line up to sign Tommy James and the Shondells. He said he heard from Atlantic Records, Columbia Records, Epic, Kamasutra, and a little label called Roulette Records. But all of a sudden, the big record companies started calling him up and saying, we got a pass, we have to take back our offer, and so on. Tommy James says he got something like a half dozen calls in a row just mysteriously canceling their offer. Everybody but Roulette. So maybe it's time to do a little bit of a backstory on Roulette Records. Roulette was founded in 1957 by four partners who were headed by a man named Morris Levy. During the late 50s, Roulette had a bunch of hits by Buddy Knox, The Playmates, Jimmy Rogers, Ronnie Hawkins, and The Delicates. Plus, they released albums by Dinah Washington, Count Basie, uh, Pearl Bailey. They gave the performers a ton of musical freedom, but they were kind of shady with the money. And it turns out that Roulette Records had some strong ties to organized crime, and Tommy James himself has suggested in multiple venues that it was specifically a front for the Genovese crime family. In fact, one of the partners owned four other small labels and gave all of them to Morris Levy to cover his gambling debts. Levy then folded them all into roulette. And Morris Levy, by some reports, ran the label with an iron fist. Okay, back to 1965. Tommy James and the Shondells are getting a sudden cold shoulder from all the big labels. And finally, he asked someone, hey, what's going on? And it was Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Records who finally fessed up and said, Morris Levy called up the other labels and said, this is my record. And he basically scared everyone away. So Tommy James and the Shondells did indeed sign with Roulette Records. They also did a bunch of TV appearances and club dates. And it wasn't until after all that that the Roulette 45 was released. But here's the funky part. Tommy James sold the original 1964 master to Roulette Records for the 45 pressing. They didn't do another recording. But by all accounts, Roulette Records did an amazing job of promoting the single, and it spent two weeks at the top of the Billboard Hot 100 in the summer of 1966. It was also top 10 in most of Europe. It made it to number 38 in the UK, and it was a number three record in South Africa. As far as covers, there have been a bunch, but none of them have had the same success that teenage Tommy Jackson and his original Shondells had. Most of them are pretty faithful to the Shondells version, so it's kind of pointless to play them here. But I invite you to check out the covers by Neil Diamond, yeah, in 1966, by Joan Jett in 1980, right before she broke big. And then there's this version you're listening to now, a pretty good cover by seminal punk band The Cramps in 1982. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two. I asked you about four musical family pairs, and I asked you to identify the one that doesn't belong. They were Anne and Nancy Wilson from Heart, Alex and Eddie Van Halen, Jack and Meg White from The White Stripes, and Noel and Liam Gallagher from Oasis. 
The answer in this case would be Jack and Meg White. Now, it occurred to me while I was reading this out that you might have picked out Jack and Meg White because it's the only um, male-female pair as opposed to everybody else who is either brothers and sisters. But the real answer is that all the other pairs are siblings. And while Jack and Meg White told everyone they were siblings, the truth is they were married to each other from 1996 until 2000, shortly before the band got famous. And incidentally, Jack White's original name is John Gillis, which means he took Meg's name. How about that? And that's another full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. And now, of course, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash howgooditis. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com where you might find a few extra bits, no guarantees. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. I love that podcatcher. Next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when, coincidentally, by listener request, you get the candy everybody wants. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you next time. <laughs>